0: The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God, as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Above Lord's Day 5, you find the heading, the second part, our deliverance, which indicates that the catechism has moved into the second thing we need to know in order to live and die in the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. And At the beginning of this section, we read the confession of the church as follows, since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that His justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Following the proclamation of the word, we will begin to respond by standing and singing together the words of Psalm 35 in stanzas 4 and 11. beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the previous three Lord's Days have served to express just how bad things really are. Just to give a quick summary, in those Lord's Days, we were brought to the point where we had to acknowledge that sinful man does the complete opposite of what God commands, The Lord requires love for him and for the neighbor. Instead of such love, man is filled with hatred. We are also forced to acknowledge that it was sinful man who gave up the high position given at creation. In deliberate disobedience, he chose to disobey God. And that corrupt sinful nature which he brought upon himself has only continued to spread through the generations. And then in Lord's Day 4, what we had to confess there is that each person deserves nothing less than temporal and eternal punishment with which God punishes sin. It's not a pretty picture. It's fair to say that of Himself, sinful man is stuck the situation's not good or to use the language of scripture by nature each person is a slave to sin a slave that word doesn't exactly give positive feelings no one likes being a slave people long to be free And that's exactly what comes out here in Lord's Day 5 this afternoon as we move into the section dealing with our deliverance. There's actually a slight change in the sense that with Lord's Day 5, there's no more excuses anymore. There's no more attempts to take all the blame and place it at the feet of someone else. There's no attempt to hide from the awful truth. What we have now is that sinful man looks to get out from what we've brought upon ourselves. And that's exactly what you see in question 12. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, so we acknowledge that reality, how can we escape this punishment and again be received into favor? And it's that word escape, it's critical to our understanding of the confession. Escaping, that means there's this eager desire to be free. Again, that in itself is not surprising. But what is surprising is the manner in which the way of potential escape is revealed. Because the confession doesn't just say, if you want to escape, here's the one way, and then leave it at that. It first addresses a number of different avenues that the sinful heart is inclined to follow by nature. And there's a reason for that. Not only does it head us off at the pass and direct us in the right way, but in doing so, that one way of escape becomes even more incredible. And about this I may proclaim to you the Word of God this afternoon, doing so under the theme the believer confesses the one way of escape. We're going to consider two points. First, the closed doors for possible escape. And secondly, the miraculous one true way of escape. Now, when it comes to escaping punishment, the natural inclination that all people have is that they want to escape using the easiest way possible. We realize that in order to escape, something's going to have to be given up, But what our hope is, is that this principle will be applied to both parties. We know that we're going to have to offer up some form of payment, but there's also that secret hope, even though we'd never say the words, there's a secret hope that God is going to compromise on something as well. So the truth is, when it comes to our escape from punishment, we're looking for a plea bargain or a plea deal from the judge. We want some kind of arrangement that will lead to a lesser sentence. And that's the hope and expectation that lies behind question 12. It's the way we easily think. Because if we apply this to ourselves, it's often the case that as long as our own personal sense of justice, which is easily satisfied, is done, But we have to benefit in the end. As long as there's an apology of some kind, the one who's guilty has to humble themselves and eat crow a little bit, a small amount of payment is made, then we'll be content. Seems nice. It's not the way things work with God. Sin committed against the Most High Majesty of God cannot and will not be overlooked. In order for God to remain true to His Word, which includes the promise of blessing for obedience and the curse for disobedience, God has to be consistent. God cannot change His approach at all. And thus, answer 12 throws that idea of the plea deal with a lesser sentence completely out the window, and it says, God demands that His justice be satisfied. Not compromised, satisfied. There is no deal to be offered in terms of a lighter sentence. There's no negotiating since we are dealing with God's demand. And at first, from our perspective, that might sound just a little bit unreasonable. And we might think, why is God being so inflexible here? But that's trying to understand the justice of God from our perspective and our thinking, not from God's. You see, God demands that his justice be satisfied because the problem was never with God, the problem was never with his commandment. The problem's not two sided, but one. The problem lies only with man. And because of that, God demands that full payment be made. The judge says to the one trying to negotiate or trying to bargain with him, no deal. You want to escape from punishment? That's fine. Full payment has to be made. But then notice something else we deal with here in our confession. What does true escape from punishment actually look like? It's not just being free from punishment. It's also a restoration to the things, way things used to be. You see that in question 12. How can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? True escape doesn't leave us in some kind of random neutral position. Where we have to figure things out. It's a return to the circumstances that existed before the fall into sin. Well, to get back to those circumstances where there's not only no threat of punishment, but also there is the living under God's favor, God demands that His justice be satisfied. Full payment for sin has to be made, and perfect obedience must be offered. There's no compromise on the part of the judge. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, as much as as we might want God to compromise, if He would do so in even the smallest way, it would not be a true return back to paradise. Now, while answer 12 makes this matter of full payment clear, it also sets out how this can be done. Full payment must be made either by ourselves or through another. And that's exactly what we want to hear, because at the very least, it now opens that door or that possibility for escape. And then with questions 13 and 14, these options are investigated a little bit more. But here's the thing. With questions 13 and 14, we actually come to the heart of every single religion in the world. Each religion is concerned with the question of escape or salvation from sin and how that is possible. In many ways, these questions and answers might come across as regular, nothing special to consider, been there, heard that before. But really, this is where the rubber hits the road. How is escape from punishment and being received into God's favor possible? Is it done by ourselves? Is it done through another? And the first option to consider is whether we ourselves can make the payment. If there's no possibility of a plea bargain, Is it possible that we offer to God the full payment He requires? Well, the answer doesn't take long to put us in our place. Certainly not. Not a chance. But then look at the reason given for this. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. In other words, every single day we only make ourselves worthy of further punishment. We daily make ourselves go further and further away from the favor of God. We don't even make a little bit of slow progress. We take a bad situation and we make that situation worse. Again, that's something most of us have heard before. We know well we can't save ourselves. But there's a big difference between knowing it, hearing it, and actually believing it and being convicted about that. Many of us have been blessed to grow up in the church, to be instructed in these doctrines from a young age. But there's a very real danger that these words of our confession become simply memory work or repetition. It might also happen, we roll our eyes, And we affirm it by saying, yeah, of course, I know that. Don't need to hear it again. Old news. Move on. But those words of answer 13, that on the contrary, we daily increase our debt, that should be a confession from our heart about our weakness, our sins, our shortcomings. It's the confession of Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the simple answer is, there's not a one. This is what all comes together in Isaiah 59 as well. Right from the beginning, there's the acknowledgement that things are not well between God and His people. and. That's not a human analysis of the situation either. We read the statement of fact from God in verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Well, there you see the first part of Lord's Day 5 expressed. Sin makes us worthy of punishment. But sin drives this wedge between God and His people. Sin makes it so that rather than living under the favor of the Lord, there's the absence of His blessing. So already we get the sense of a bad situation, but then in verses 3 through 8, there's the accusation against the people. They're harsh words, they're convicting at the same time. Because what the Lord does is He takes the time to lay their sin out in detail. He says, your sin causes a separation between you and God, and now here's your sin of which you are guilty. But those sins that are mentioned there are actually timeless things. They don't just apply to Israel back then. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. That's not just a problem in Judah way back when. How many of us can say that our lips have never uttered wickedness, that we've never told a lie? Again in verse 7, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation and destruction are in their highways. It's not just a matter of words. The Lord says it's also the thoughts that are going through your mind. Again, how many of us can say that our thoughts are perfectly clean, perfectly innocent, always in accordance with God's law? With that being the case, we see why the catechism is so direct in answering that question of whether or not we can make the payment required. The idea is nothing new. It arises in each person's mind. It dwells at our very core that we want to do something. We think we can do something, but the very thought of such a thing is unrealistic to say the least, and it almost seems as though the one asking the question of question 13 has just forgotten everything confessed in Lord's Days 2 through 4. So here's a question. Why would the authors of the Catechism bother to include question and answer 13? It seems so straightforward. We know this. We've been taught it from the time we're young. Why include it? Why bring this to our attention again? Ask yourself this, brothers and sisters. That idea that we can contribute something to God, does that idea ever really go away? The reality of man's sinfulness is clear in the scriptures. It's been taught throughout the ages, but still, there remain people who truly believe that to escape from the just punishment of God, it depends on them. You have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you have to do more. How many religions don't include at least some element that you have to do good works in order to be saved? How many don't emphasize that you have to obtain favor with God? You have to choose for God. The focus throughout history hasn't changed in the least. Just as man chose what he saw to be the easy route to be like God in the Garden of Eden, he still chooses what he thinks is the easiest route today. And he puts it all under his control. You do more, you can do it. Don't worry about what God says. You can be like God even though you've fallen. And so do you hear that the way the effect of the fall is continually minimized. The serpent spoke to our first parents back in paradise. Well, that sinful whisper of the tempter, it echoes throughout our entire being. And thus the Catechism addresses that whisper. It silences the voice. We cannot escape from the punishment of God because daily we increase our debt. We cannot be received into favor by God by ourselves because we don't obey God as we should. And so once again, we are left in that position of humility forced to confess our sinfulness, the words of Isaiah 59, verse 10 through 12, most certainly apply to us as we seek to escape by our own strength. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes, we stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. So, right away, there's the next opportunity. Question 14. It actually shows how desperate we are to escape from punishment and be received into favor. Because now, with question and answer 14, the crown of creation turns to the creatures created under Him and over whom He's been given dominion. He seeks to know, is it possible that some other creature can help us out of our predicament? Well, the negative answer to the question is not entirely unexpected. Think about it, we are asking, something lower than us in the creation order to do what we could not do and to bear what we could not bear. We are asking if somehow God's justice will be satisfied if some other creature steps into our place for us. Again, we're asking God, will you compromise just a little bit on this one? And with that, we fail to recognize the creation order, the wonderful privilege that God has given the human race at creation. As is our tendency, we severely minimize things. We minimize our original position. We minimize God's justice. We think it can easily be satisfied. Well, Scripture makes it clear that the way of escape is not that easy. Ezekiel 18 The Lord says in no uncertain terms, the soul who sins shall die. Since it's man who has sinned, it's man who must pay for sin. Even an angel, untainted by sin, held in their glorious position by the grace of God, cannot pay for us. An animal, as we know from the Old Testament, cannot pay for sin. God will not punish another creature lower on the order for us. We cannot be restored to favor with God because a creature stepped in. But attempting to use another creature to pay for our escape, it not only minimizes God's justice, it also minimizes the punishment demanded by God's justice. If you think back to Lord's Day 4, that justice is presented. It's temporal, it's eternal, it's punishment of body, and punishment of soul. It's terrifying to think about. And it's not a wonder that people want to escape from it, it's not likely that there's any here who are willing to take that punishment for another either. So now think about it. We're asking if there's another creature in the created order whom God will place that punishment upon. We're asking if there's another creature willing to suffer eternal punishment of body and soul. Well, do you see the desperation that has crept in at this point? God demands justice be satisfied. We can't make the payment. So now what do we do? We look for any other creature to serve as a scapegoat for us, just so long as we escape. We're willing to let another mere creature bear the wrath of God in our place. It's not a wonder this way of escape doesn't work. And by closing off these possible ways of escape, We are reminded of how seriously we need to take God's perfect justice. We'll sing about that in the words of Psalm 35. Brothers and sisters, understand this well. God's justice is not something He takes lightly. His justice is not something He will compromise on. His justice is not something He will play around with in any way. He's not going to offer a plea deal for a lighter sentence. And from that angle, Lord's Day 5 seems to leave us in the same place as Lord's Day 4. But there is more to consider. Because while with man things seem to be impossible, with God nothing is impossible. People desperately tried to escape from punishment for sin, but the truth is man's very limited in his approach. And before the one true escape can be found, it must be clear that even having this possibility of escaping, that's something incredible. You see, God would have been perfectly just if He had simply destroyed the human race and all creation after the fall into sin. It would have been perfectly understandable for God to just make a new start, to go right back to the beginning. It also would have been perfectly just if God had, would have said, there's no possible way back into my favor. There is no hope for escape. God could have said that punishment, both temporal and eternal, that's certain. There's no hope of avoiding it. But the miracle of God's grace comes out right away in answer 12. It's not the answer man hopes for, but it does point us in the right direction. How can there be escape from punishment and a return to favor? It's possible if God's justice is satisfied and full payment is made. The very fact that God allows for this avenue of escape is purely the result of His grace. And yet, at first, it seems like it's a vain hope or a hope meant to tease us because it's something completely out of our reach. But the only reason for thinking that way is because it's us who limit things. That's what we see as we follow the line here in Lord's Day 5. We have those words in answer 12, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. From there, we ask about ourselves, we ask about other creatures, each of which puts us on a dead-end street. Where else do we turn? There's a difference in language we need to note here. Payment must be made by ourselves or through another. That other was not specified. It's us who ask about things we see. It's us who address things we know. We focus on ourselves or other creatures in creation because those are the things we are familiar with. But to truly find the one way of escape, we can't look inward, and nor should we even be looking on the horizontal level. The one way of escape is not grasped by looking at what's around you in the created realm. For escape we have to turn outside of creation and that comes out in the last question and answer what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek one who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures that is one who is at the same time true god there's the possible way of escape not inward not horizontal, but vertical, God. It's also what we read of in Isaiah 59, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. The miracle of the one way of escape is not only seen in the fact that it's possible, it's especially seen in the fact that escape from punishment, being received into favor, is something that's provided for us by God alone. Think about it this way. The very one who is offended by sin, who hates sin, and who punishes sin, is at the same time so gracious, so compassionate, so merciful that He provides the one way for people to escape. And yes, the qualifications for our deliverer are extremely high, not only in the sense that it must be God, because there are none others who are powerful enough to make it happen, but even on the human side of things, it remains high. Yes, He must be man, but perfect man. He cannot share in our original sin, cannot be guilty of actual sin, because then he would fall under the category of those who cannot help themselves. And we know how God has provided this Deliverer as well. The Catechism does not explicitly say it because there's more to be considered, but we know it is in Jesus Christ that there is escape from punishment And then as we read in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and following, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's a beautiful verse. Because there you have the extent of the work our Savior has accomplished. He partook of our flesh and blood. He became like us in every way, yet without sin. And then by His death on the cross, He defeated the one who held the power of death. He defeated the one keeping us in lifelong slavery. Well, since that taskmaster has been defeated, then through faith in that one mediator whom God lovingly provided— we have escaped. We are free. Think back to Lord's Day 1. Christ sets us free from all the power of the devil. and the absence of eternal death, it means we now experience the abundance of life. The confession of the believer is that the Son of God took on our human nature, became like us in every way, yet remained God at the same time, and that in Him alone there is escape from punishment, in Him alone there is the way to be received back into God's favor. The only one who can perfectly satisfy God's justice is ultimately God Himself. There's no mere mortal human who could live up to such a standard. Christ, by His suffering and death on the cross, perfectly satisfied that justice, It demanded the most severe punishment, eternal punishment of body and soul. That's been satisfied during those three hours of darkness where Christ experienced the agony, the torment, the anguish of hell. And thus it's our Savior who can say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God except through Christ. He's not just one possible way. He's the only way, because He's the miracle whom God provided for us. Other than our blessed Savior, we're limited by what we know and what we see in creation all around us. And we've seen already those aren't options. Yes, people can be extremely creative. It never helps. In Christ alone, there's escape from punishment. There's freedom so that we're no longer slaves to sin. And this is important as well, namely the character of the escape Christ provides. Because the truth is, people want to be free from all kinds of things. People want to be free from debt. They want to be free from obligations of different kinds. They want to be free to do whatever they want, but what tends to happen is they forget the root of it all. The root of all misery is sin. Every other escape and subsequent freedom is just something temporary. It's only through our Savior and the escape that He provides that we have eternal freedom. It's what we experience each time in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, by partaking of the crucified body and shed blood of Christ in faith, He has removed, we confess, He has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin. It's important because as we read earlier in Isaiah 59, it's sin that causes a separation between God and us, not a temporary separation, but an eternal one. So to once again escape from the grasp and power of sin to be received into God's favor, we have the freedom that matters. We can also think of what we sing in Psalm 107. There we also rejoice in the freedom God gives. Stanza two we sang earlier. Let all this be repeated. Let those whom he set free retell how he defeated their fiercest enemy. The source is the same no matter where you turn. Escape from punishment to sin is found in Christ alone. But then think of how the psalm ends. Verse 43 is found in Scripture, we read, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. As mentioned earlier. There's a very real danger that all of this becomes too routine, too academic, too common, because we've heard it before. But that should never be the case. This is not just mere facts or information. We are confessing the miracle which God made a reality for us. The single way of escape is not something we could have ever dreamed up no matter how many years we're given. It's something that we would only be able to focus on with our natural eyes. But we're reminded we are completely helpless, that we can't save ourselves. We can't even begin to satisfy God's justice. But since escape and redemption come through justice, Isaiah 1 verse 27 we're left to marvel at the miracle God has given us in His Son so that His justice is satisfied. And yes, from the human perspective, it makes no sense. How can God satisfy His own justice? Faith is not about understanding everything. Faith is a matter of reflecting on the truth of God's Word and then thanking God for the riches of His grace It's daily pondering His mercy, daily marveling at His love, daily wondering at the fact that God has done what was seemingly impossible, providing for us the way of escape so that we can live under His favor. Because brothers and sisters, in Christ, through faith, we are free from punishment of sin. We are free to live for the Lord. In Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, we have escaped. Amen.